Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by the Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me is Ben Sawyer, the CEO of Soar Vision Group. Ben has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience. He launched the Soar Vision Group to help align people with purpose and to achieve exceptional results. Jennifer Strahan is the Chief Operating Officer of Soar Vision Group. Jennifer has partnered with more than 100 health systems and businesses across the U.S. to help them transform their strategic and administrative operations. And Lisa Council is the Chief Commercial Officer. She comes to SOAR with more than two decades of clinical, leadership, and clinical informatics experience. She spent 19 years at the McKesson Corporation, leading large teams in clinical consulting, direct sales, and sales support. And our very special guest today is former pro baseball player, successful entrepreneur, and you know him as Georgia's Lieutenant Governor, Jeff Duncan. Welcome. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Okay, now we're just going to make you blush a little bit. We're going to give a little bit of your bio. Uh-oh. And when I say we had to pare it down, I did, because you've done a lot in your lifetime. But here we go. As we said, a former professional baseball player and successful entrepreneur, you were elected to be the lieutenant governor in November of 2018. Jeff's faith inspired him to a life of leadership and prompted his upstart run for political office. He was elected to the Georgia House of Representatives in 2012. During his time in office there, he authored several important pieces of legislation. These include HB 749, that's the Cargo Theft Act, HB 152, known as Michael's Law, and most recently SB 258, the Rural Hospital Tax Credit. The one question I think everyone wants to ask, what is the job of the lieutenant governor? Um, great question, and uh, so I'm only seven and seven months into it, so we're still trying to figure it out ourselves. <laughs> um, the, the Constitution says this, that the lieutenant governor is the president of the Senate, and so in Georgia, obviously, we have a 40 legislative day session, which usually spans about three months, and so you're the president of the Senate. Uh, lots of important things to do there, to name committees, to pick chairs, and work with the Senate members to really work with the flow of legislation and, and whatnot. So it really puts you in a strong, strong position. Outside of session, the Constitution speaks very little as to what the role of lieutenant governor is. And so really what we're trying to do is to really be supportive of the governor's initiatives. Uh, Brian Kemp has been a great partner throughout this process, but really try to also be a business ambassador uh, and, and be an overall ambassador for the state of Georgia itself. Um, traveling the state after session ended and being able to talk about you know, the 22 health care bills we passed and about the teacher pay raises and all these great things we did, just continuing to remind 11 million Georgians of, of the hard work that's going on up at the Capitol. Wonderful. And Jeff, uh, so glad to have you on the radio show today. Um, talk to us a little bit about some of the sort of top issues that you guys are having to address that the governor's initiatives are going after. Yeah, you know, look, there's, there's, Georgia's a great place to call home. I yeah. mean, I think everybody feels it that's here, even folks that don't live here or businesses that aren't here. The whole world's watching what we're doing here in Georgia, mm-hmm. and it's really neat to kind of be a part of that movement and that momentum. But, you know, with that comes challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, there, there's three prime areas that I've been focused in on. Uh, one is, is education. Mm-hmm. You know, the greatest gift we can give a child is a quality K-12 through education, and it just pays so many dividends, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, even into the healthcare spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. If we properly educate kids, 
uh, they're able to understand more about themselves and their communities. Mm -hmm. Gives them an opportunity to, pr to provide for themselves. Uh, then we talk about uh, healthcare, right? There's a continued momentum. We're at this intersection in healthcare where you know technology is, is going to need to play a vital role. Mm -hmm. uh, the technology has to be consumer friendly. It's got to be realistic. But ultimately, I think we have to look at healthcare knowing that all 11 million Georgians mm -hmm. on all political sides of, of the issue mm -hmm. agree on two things. We need more affordable and better access to healthcare. Mm -hmm. Uh, the third part, and this is probably the biggest goal I've ever set professionally, is I want Georgia to be the technology capital of the East Coast. Hmm. That's really my, my laser focus on economic development. Right. And to do that, everything has to really be firing on all cylinders. But I think it's a great, great initiative to go towards. And quite honestly, every business in Georgia, and quite honestly, the world, is a technology company. Right. Whether they're mining data or looking for social media needs or your Delta or Coca-Cola or right. any healthcare company. Mm -hmm. It's an accelerator. Yeah, it, absolutely. And and you have to have it actually to be able to be successful. Yep, that's right. I, I think history is going to look back on this period of time and see the, the technological advancements we've had over a 20 or 30 year period of time to be as important as the invention of the wheel. Right. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So we have a lot of questions and, and things. Did you want to go next, Jennifer, in terms of a, th a thought or question? Just Why so you can't see because it's radio but everyone is waiting like your little kids like first day of school who you know what everyone should just raise their hand when they have a question <laughs> for the oh lieutenant governor that, that's usually either really good or really bad <laughs> i guess we'll find out shortly go so, jennifer this yeah. is not like a press conference no, right, right. <laughs> okay so the thing that i just wanted to mention was that the three elements that you just talked about really embody the um communities of excellence within the Baldridge Foundation and the Baldridge um, community of NIST. So what's interesting about that is that there is such a close proximity to those three things that I think on the outskirts we don't always see whenever we're talking through it, but you talked about education, healthcare, and really around technology hits your economics. And those three things together really are so intricately related, which I think we could talk about as we relate it back to the things that we consistently bring up in our show with the organizational hierarchy of needs can also be related to a community as well. So let's do that. Let's anchor, because uh, we do every radio show. So we have a, uh, a website, www.leaderdialogue.com, and dialogue is D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E for the listeners. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's, you know, it's as opposed to a computer dialogue, which only has the G end. So at any rate, on the homepage, there is this organizational hierarchy of needs. And what we realized is much like Maslow's individual hierarchy of needs, Organizations have the same thing. At its foundation is colleague engagement. If the people that are involved in any enterprise, whether it's a jurisdiction or a company or an or, you know, hospital, whatever, are not all engaged around a common purpose, it will fail. So that revolves around the recruitment or retention of the right people and making sure that they're aligned. The, the, and in this case, residents. Right. It in this case, be at a yeah, broader scale. Right. Absolutely. And then above that, the next level up is organizational effectiveness. So that, again, can be a corporation or a jurisdiction, state, city, whatever. And the idea is, how does that that en entity become effective in what they set out to do? The third level up is customer value. In other words, whether it is it is residents or customers of an organization, how do you best fulfill that that's a need within the organization hierarchy of needs and ultimately any kind of financial benefit is going to be driven from those three and at the very top of the pyramid is strategy development and execution because if the organization or jurisdiction isn't clear on what they're trying to accomplish and are able to execute based on that foundation 
they will ultimately fail. Um, and then the wraparound of the organization hierarchy of needs is effective leadership, servant leadership, actually. Mm -hmm. And then the technology that supports real-time information and, and enables or accelerates the organization's performance. So all of that is housed in the organizational uh, hierarchy of needs. It is the visual Baldrige. It actually connects to all seven of their categories. And as Jennifer pointed out, it's housed within the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So for the listeners, that's the backdrop. We're going to be referencing that back and forth in our conversation today with Jeff. It, it's, it's great to hear that. I mean, you just nailed uh, every successful program that I could run through in my mind follows those those checkpoints, right? And, you know, so often in, in and around government, the challenge is it's, it's so many people arrive recognizing the problem. Right. And they go they go to work with, with, a, with a really, really intent to solve the problem. But it's so oftentimes uh, it's mesh points between problems right. that, that either, you know, make things exponentially worse or make things exponentially right. better. And you've got to understand those mesh points. It sounds like that yeah. uh, absolutely is a spot on. Well, approach. and one of the things we've said on previous shows, um, the research bears out that on average only 5% of employees actually understand how what they do connects to the organization's mission. And uh, additional research showed that only 21% of middle managers actually understand that. So if that's the proportionality, then you end up having a lot of people defaulting to what they think is best, which on the surface may seem okay, but it doesn't actually connect in a coordinated way to the fulfillment of an organization's mission. And think about the complexity. As you get into large organizations, everything gets much harder to actually do well. And then when you just, again, multiply that with a community, how much more difficult it can be to actually connect residents. So I, it's almost curious. I get curious whenever you talk about 5%, if 5% of our residents really know what's going on <laughs> or, if, or if we fall within the 95%. Right. And jurisdictions, and Jeff, I mean, help us with this because this is your role, can even be tougher because there's lots, it sounds like, of different decision points, right? As opposed, like the governor sits on top of all of it, but still by city, by county. By oh, yeah. No, there, there, there's, there's moving targets everywhere. And I would actually put above the governor is the citizens, right? Right. The, the, the mentality. And so when we watch, you know, whether it be you know, whatever the challenge, we're just, let's just use poverty as, as, a, as a big, broad example. Right. Everybody on all sides of, of that issue want to do good and want to solve the problem, but you have to understand that there's the community, no matter how much the governor wants or the lieutenant governor or the Senate or the House or all the different uh, departments, if the community doesn't see that there's value in the process of fixing the problem, then it, it's not going to do anything. There's no subsidy out there that can That's help right. actually right. remediate wherever that, that choke point is. And so trying to figure all that out is, is important. It just takes good, I, I believe any organization takes great leadership mm -hmm. and leadership doesn't always just sit in one office. It right. sits in an organization. Right, and then the challenges in communities and jurisdictions are multifactorial. Mm. So one of the things- More the, than that actually, time, times X. Times X, yeah, 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 right. So <laughs> one of the things we realized in the Baldrige community uh, was that communities of excellence, which is their newest segment of what they do, needed to be set up separately because of that very factor. So if you're dealing with literacy, there is economics associated with that, there might be homelessness associated with that, there might be transportation associated with that. Every single problem you tackle seems like, and, and I, this is a question as much as anything, seems to be very, very multifactorial. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and then to make it even more complex of an algorithm to run, then you can make you can pull one lever, 
right? You can solve the transportation need, but then it creates <laughs> a, a time efficiency need or, or right. food or scarcity. All of these components are, are all interwoven. Here's one of the things, too, is so often in and around, and I'll use state government as an example, we use 100% effectiveness as our only, you know, metric. We're never going to be 100% successful in anything that we do. Businesses can't do that, right? You don't set up a business and, and assume in a business plan that you're going to get 100% market penetration, right? You've got to be able to understand that you want to create growth and trajectory. And I think we need to have more of that mentality as we, as we try to tackle some of the problems. Right. So that actually tees up a whole concept for us around metrics that matter. So again, from the standpoint of technology and organizations, in this case jurisdictions, being able to be successful, they need to understand what they're going after, how it links to their strategy, and then what is the appropriate metric that matters, right, that, that, that they're referencing it against. And it has to be able to have both a sense of a lagging metric, right, that is at, or at organizational level, as well as a leading metric that would be uh, uh, involved with frontline types of mm -hmm. engagement. What we've learned in strategy execution is if you don't have those as clarity and kind of a balance, the ability to be successful is, is difficult. Yeah, I think one of the roles of, of leadership in any organization is to understand that metrics, I think so often are just the shadow is that they're there to correct when something's wrong. Right. Metrics really, for the most part, in my opinion, are, are measures of you know, directional point, you know, right. that you're headed in the right direction and, and allows you, gives you the opportunity to fine tune. Right. So can I break this down Please. for listeners? Uh, we always tease because Ben has very profound analogies and they're just <laughs> like, by the time you, you listen We've to his analogy, boating, you're wise, yeah. you've done known sports, everything, fishing, all kinds I'm of things. I'm assuming we're going to hear something about baseball at some point. <laughs> well, I want to get to baseball. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. But first we're going to talk about Nemo. So oh, I, have, I have a three and a half year old at home. So we like, I can't really blame him. Obviously, Nemo came out before him. But uh, when you think about metrics and the alignment, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. Okay, the alignment that wait. it comes back together. If you've seen Finding Nemo, you know that in the near the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, plug your ears for a minute. But essentially, near the end of the movie, they escape, and they're so excited. And then all of a sudden, they're captured by a net, right? And poor little Nemo is captured, and you're thinking, man... That was a good movie, but that's how you're going down. It's it, you're gone, right? In the midst of it, all the little fish that are in this net are swimming as fast as they can, but they're not, it doesn't matter. They're not going anywhere except for where the net is naturally taking them. So instead, in the midst of this, they all decide, hey, we're gonna all swim down. And that's how, you know, they go through, save the day, the net breaks, everything's great. But as simple as it is, it's how when you align your metrics in an organization and every little person little or big, no matter what their individual role is in the organization, if they're working towards the aligned strategy that the, the company, the government, the school, whatever, is working towards, you start to do sa same amount of motion, if not less, but you're making more progress, more progress. as an entity. So take us into the baseball realm with that. <laughs> because, again, the metrics can be stretch targets, right? And you're aligning the team in this case to make sure that they're winning. So how how does your experience as a, as a professional baseball player influence and and essentially impact how you're functioning as a lieutenant governor? Yeah, so, you know, I learned a lot of life lessons playing baseball, right? The the ability to to chase a dream, yeah, uh, and find incremental success in that. Yeah. You know, every day, you know, just staying alive in the game and just, you know, working your way through it. And also the value of hard work. Right. Right. And understanding how that translates to every phase of our lives, whether it be in a marriage and mm -hmm. raising kids, a job, mm -hmm. uh, even retirement. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, the value of hard work and, and being able to experience that. But for, for, for me, 
um, when you're in the minor leagues, um, you know, you're not, nobody really cares that you got a trophy at the end of the year, right? right? right. No, nobody, you're, I've played in a couple of those championships or the playoffs, and it's really miserable, right? I mean, you've, you've, been, you've been making a couple thousand dollars a month. You've been on the road for seven months, and now they tell you you've got to spend two more weeks to win, you know, like a $5 watch or a $50 <laughs> members-only jacket or something. Right. But what you learn is the success is, is from, you know, inning to inning. Right. Uh, or from game to game. And right. so as the less talented, and I considered myself on the low end of the talent pool, I had to compete literally from pitch to pitch. And I mm-hmm. didn't recognize that. You know, I'm 44 years old now. I realize now that. And I've translated that into as a small business owner mm-hmm. and winning every day. Right. right. And how do you win today? Well, today I need to cut. I got to cut my budget today. Right. Mm-hmm. Or tomorrow I need to go find two new customers. That's so true. And in state government, too. And look, I'm, I'm new. I've. You know, I barely know where the bathrooms are at at the Capitol at this point. <laughs> that's the, really hard. He's, right. he's not making a joke. It's really hard. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you need a map. You just keep making rights. But, or the, lefts. The, you know, you've got to value. What, what is what is a successful day for lieutenant governor right now? You know, is it right. five conversations with senators and two speeches and three media interviews? I don't, every day changes. Right. But finding incre- incremental success and the value of that right. translates all across the spectrum. But I, I learned more from baseball um, than any other spot in my life. So is it fair to summarize your focus is on today, you understand what the priorities are, you execute against that, you anticipate potential challenges tomorrow, but you can't solve tomorrow's problems today. Yeah, focus on the journey and not the trophy, right? Yeah. And the yeah. journey changes every day. It doesn't mean that you lose focus on, on where the end game is, where the right. end goal is, right. right? If you want to solve poverty or you want to better educate kids or you want to create economic development opportunities, that's out there. Right. But if I just simply wake up in the morning and say, uh, we want we want to uh, we want to better better educate K through 12. Okay, that's great. I'm going to be frustrated because what is what is truly success? Correct. It's every day. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to execute a modernization. We're going to figure out ways to remind parents and guardians that the education of their child is meant to be a true partnership. Right. Right. It's not meant to be a drop off and pick up program. How can we deploy more technology in the classroom to allow connectivity between teachers and parents? You know, and let Johnny, you know, let mom and dad know or guardian or grandparents know when Johnny's doing something good. Right. Maybe when he's not doing something good. Right. Um, those are that's the incremental success that we need to have as we move forward. Right. So just to finish the analogy with baseball, then how did metrics and technology, obviously advances in equipment and so forth, impact your ability to be successful on a game to game basis? So I became a student of the game, right? As my career came forward, I, I learned that the data wasn't just how I was going to get paid. It was going to be how I could succeed, right? Right. And so in, in the baseball world, you know, there was a binder that sat there. You know, if I spent six seasons playing, the first three, I just looked at this binder that sat on the end of the bench and had no idea what was in it because I never opened it. And then I opened it up. Right. I was like, what is this? This is a tendencies chart. This, this means I can know when this guy hits 85% of the time when he's down 0-2, he swings and misses at a, at a breaking ball. Or, yeah. you know, this guy's a 500 hitter on the first pitch, so guess what? He's not getting a fastball down the middle. Right. right? All of a sudden, I became incre- incrementally better because I became a student of the game. But here's the challenge. You have to want to do that. Exactly. Right. right? And so that's the adoption rate inside an organization, right. right? I can, to your point, everybody, you know, if we all work on the same goal, it's the secret sauce is getting everybody to work on that and share the vision right. and have ownership in the end game. 
and feel like they're valuable to, to, the, to the overall organization. So one thing I just want to point out there, because you talked about leadership and how you mentioned I'd put the citizens above the governor, and that, that really comes back to servant leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a big element of that is understanding your stakeholders, right? Whoever those stakeholders are, if, it's in, if you're in an education system, your teachers, your parents, your students, your administrators, all of those different people, right? In hospitals, it's not just your staff, your physicians, your, your patients, the people who are potential patients or you're missing. But in the, when we're going through that process, there's that with them, the what's in it for me, and understanding that, because you're right, that you're never going to hit 100% for everyone. But if you can find what's the most, the, the most successful win and as close to, uh, to that win as possible for everyone, that's where you start to get people to buy into it. And it's just as important as in a business or in an education system or anywhere else as every other component of government. So, yeah, yeah, I would, you know, I learned this lesson in the private sector where you're running an organization and all of a sudden you wake up one day and there's, there's a grease fire, right? You got a customer and they're angry and it might be your biggest customer. So all of a sudden everybody starts looking through the lens like, well, we need to change the way we operate or we need to change the, our, our sales strategies or our customer service strategies. But in reality, the organization's fine. There's an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Translate that to state government. Sometimes the loudest, angriest voice does not really represent the masses. Right. It's just the person that has the most access and the most money or the best relationships right. or whatnot. Right. So, so there's two profound things actually that just mm-hmm. came up that I want to sort of underscore. The first one was around data and for listeners if they ever watch the movie Moneyball. Yeah. Uh, I played during that period of time before did you? we knew that he was actually doing that. <laughs> I was on the other end of that math equation. Yeah. So that that is a whole fascinating uh, assessment of, of how data really impacts uh, what you do. The other, Jennifer, though, that you're pointing out is the servant leadership. And I just was thinking as you were talking, because our our nation is so polarized right now, there, there doesn't seem to be leaders stepping forward that it's not about them. It's not just looking good. Mm-hmm. It's making sure that they're actually serving their constituency. And sometimes we'll make a decision that may not be actually flattering for them, but it's the right thing to do. What is your take on on that, uh, Brian? I, I'm a policy over politics person. I'm, I'm standing here as lieutenant governor because I told millions of people over two and a half years that I was policy over politics. I had a brief five-year track record that really put that on display in the House of Representatives. Um, and, you know, I think to me that's the pathway forward is, is really kind of just hone our policy mindsets. I love the state level because there's so much synergy, even yeah. between two parties or you know yeah. people in the middle and all that. There's just so much more synergy, you know, to work down in an environment at the Capitol where there is, you know, it doesn't have this overtone of trying to find solutions in partisan corners. It's just trying to find a cumulative solution to the challenges that face us. Because quite honestly, you think about this in the legislature uh, and as Lieutenant Governor, I mean, some of the loudest voices in my, you know, in my ear are my neighbors or the kids I coach's parents. <laughs> right, or, right. You know, like I'm live, I'm raising three kids living the same life, you know, where somebody's like, did you know? Um, and, you know, absolutely. I, I, that, that's what I really, really enjoy about the mm-hmm. state, state government. I think I'm one of those, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think I'm one of the ones <laughs> screaming in his ear. I've known Jeff for a long gentle time. Gentle reminders, gentle yeah. reminders. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, what about this? We could do I mean, this. So, so you mentioned in my bio, and, and rush me if, if I need to hush on this, but um, the two things you mentioned in the bio, two of the bills. The first one was the Cargo Theft Act. One of my neighbors works for UPS, and he's like, man, this is like our fourth reported incident this month of trucks getting you know, hijacked mm-hmm. with $10 million worth of cargo in the back. What do mm-hmm. we do? I researched it. We were third in the nation in cargo theft. I passed a law that said if you steal a million dollars or more of, of cargo, you go to jail for 20 years. In one year, cargo theft went down 68%. Wow. wow. Michael's law, the next one you mentioned, was because a kid in our district got beaten to death by a bouncer in Statesboro, Georgia. Mm. 
His parents came and met with me, and what we realized was the bouncers in Georgia could be any age. So mm. in, in this particular incident, you had a 19-year-old bouncer and a 18-year-old student that met in an unfortunate situation, and um, uh, the, the kid was beaten to death. Mm. Uh, we passed a law that, that now changed that. I mean, these that, that's, the, that's the beauty of, of state government is you're, you're only – you know, maybe one street away from getting your point across. Right. You you have to understand that that problem and and practically feel it, yep. and then be able to actually do legislation to solve it. That's great. So one thought that comes to mind because this is important for organizations, and it really makes sense with the examples that you're giving is there's got to be an alignment between incentives, which compares with the structural elements of an organization or an entity and then the operational mechanisms that support it. So we talk a lot about this in terms of in healthcare, right? So a good example is we can tell people we want to have more access for healthcare, but yet if you have poor payer or we might say, hey, we're not going to take but so many people based on that payer because we don't make as much money. So there's got to be alignment between that stakeholder, what's in it for me, that WIFM own, what is it that you want to accomplish? And then in the midst of that, do I have structural things that are going to inhibit that? Or do I have things that are going to support it? So when you gave the example of the, the you know, um, basically in this case, the accountability structure behind if you steal a million dollars, then it's 20 years. That's a big penalty. It starts to connect the dots. We have to do that same thing in every single organization. If you tell somebody one thing, like, hey, we really want you, you're a frontline nurse, we want you to really work hard and make good job, you know, do a good job, bring down length of stay, but I'm actually going to incentivize you on something completely different, like, um, Complete Something, disconnect. Yeah, a disconnected area of it. Right, turnover. Then that's a great example of, you know, where's my my time going to go? It's going to go on what I'm incentivized for. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to make that connection as well. So for the listeners, this has been a fascinating conversation with uh, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. And what we're asking him to do is potentially come back next week and have a deep dive conversation with us. There's some themes that have come out of here that are fascinating. Themes about... Uh, the acceleration of technology and how potentially Georgia can become evolve into being a leader in that regard. Um, the priorities of education and healthcare in in Georgia, so that all 11 million uh, members of the population can actually have good access and high quality without exorbitant costs. And then we just talked about the practicality of that in terms of executing within a jurisdiction or an organization. So we're going to tackle some of those themes in our next uh, deep dive session for next week so listeners tune back in that's right thank you for joining us on leader dialogue brought to you by soar vision group and the baldridge foundation thank you so much lieutenant governor for joining us we look forward to seeing you next week and remember to everyone listening you can listen to a new live show every friday at one o'clock eastern time you can visit business radio x and find the leader dialogue show or go to leaderdialogue.com slash podcast on behalf of ben jennifer lisa and the lieutenant governor be sure to join us next time right here on business radio x 